Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Coastal. I am Pastor Chris. Uh, Great having all you guys here with us in person, and uh, welcome to all of you uh, that are watching online. Thanks for tuning in and joining with us. And uh, speaking of joining us online, uh, I want to just say a little, uh, on a personal note, uh, my wife is in Georgia. Uh, She went to go see her mom, who is in the hospital with pneumonia, uh, but she is improving, and uh, so we want to keep her in our prayers, and and their their family watches our service uh, online. So Janet is there uh, in Georgia today watching us online, so honey, I love you and uh, can't wait to see you soon. And uh, Nancy, we love you. We're praying for you. In fact, we did this in the first service, so I think maybe our camera operator is ready for this. We, we're going to pan the room. If you don't mind, just kind of give a big shout out, you know, for Janet and, and uh, her mom, uh, Nancy. Uh, let, let, let them know that, you know, you guys love them and are praying for them uh, as well. Thank you so much. Um, I got a text from them after the first or that really meant a lot to them, so we appreciate it. Um, I hope you've enjoyed this series so far. Uh, I know we have as a staff, um, and I have personally as your pastor, uh, as we make our way through the book of Romans. Um, we are quickly coming to an end of this uh, part of the series. Now, by the end of the month, uh, the end of November, we will have finished uh, chapter 7, Romans 7. But then in uh, December, we're going to take a little bit of a break, uh, and we're going to introduce kind of our new uh, Christmas series. And then in the new year, we'll jump back uh, into Romans. But I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. Today, we are in Romans chapter 6. Now, up until now, Paul has basically been telling us how we get right with God, not by works, not by religion, not by your performance, but by your faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And there is one, only one solution to the problem of our sin. We have to be justified by faith. We've got to be made right by God. Nothing else works. Now, while that is the only solution, That is definitely not the end of the story. Last week, we talked about how God has not only declared us to be righteous positionally, you know, through justification, but he also wants to make us righteous, you know, in a process through sanctification. So we we introduced that term last week, and we're going to dig into it a little bit more this week. The word sanctification or sanctify, uh, it's found like several hundred times uh, in the Old and New Testament, um, but it's often translated in other terms in our modern English Bibles, terms like uh, set apart, saint, holy. So take out your outline, and I want to give you a good workable definition uh, of the word sanctification. Here it is. It is the lifelong process, lifelong process, by which believers are set apart by God to grow spiritually, to grow spiritually in personal holiness and to develop Christ-like character. So notice the emphasis there on the words process, grow, and develop. That's what sanctification is. It's this process of growth uh, where uh, personal holiness and and Christ-like character, where you're participating with the Holy Spirit, becoming more and more like Jesus, and uh, seeing the fruit of the Spirit developed in your life 
over time. In, in other words, it doesn't happen overnight, you know, like justification. Remember, justification is being declared righteous by God. The day you got saved, when you gave your life to Christ, at that moment, positionally, God declared you righteous in Christ. That's justification. It's not a process. You don't progress in it. You know, the, the idea isn't that, you know, the longer you're saved, the more justified you become. You are just as justified that the second you got saved as you will ever be, okay? Even if you walk faithfully with the Lord for the next 50 years. So sanctification is different in that it's a lifelong process. Uh, justification is, again, positional. Sanctification is progressive. Justification is this perfect standing in holiness and Sanctification is this daily growth in holiness. So the question I want us to talk about today is, well then how is that sanctification accomplished? How does a person do that? How do we become holy? Well, maybe you're familiar with the story in John chapter 11, one of my favorite stories of when Jesus raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. So Lazarus, at this point in the story, has been dead for four days. Four days. Jesus stands in front of the tomb, and John eleven forty three 43 says this. Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Verse 44. The dead man came out. His hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Now, in a way, that event is, I think, a beautiful picture of our condition at the time of our conversion. You know, we become fully alive spiritually the moment we place our faith in Christ. We were dead and then we were made alive in Jesus. But the problem is, we're still wearing some of the grave clothes you know, of, of the old sinful life. And so we're different from Lazarus in that, you know, our grave clothes don't come off immediately like his do. And then, not only that, we are constantly being tempted to put those old grave clothes back on. So it's a process. There's this continuing battle with evil and Satan, and, and Paul addresses that, that process here in Romans chapter six. He's admonishing us to, Take off those old grave clothes and keep growing in your walk with Christ. But what does that look like? Okay, that's what this chapter is all about, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So, if you got your Bibles, uh, you got your app, uh, you can follow along on the screen, and you have your outline with you. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Now, that's a great question. How, you know, can we, who, again, who have, been, who have died to our sin, you know, we've been made right in God's sight, how can we keep living in sin? Or to put it another way, why are we putting on those old grave clothes anymore? Why do we keep doing that? So, to help answer those questions 
And to kind of dig into this a little bit, Paul provides us with some help. And I want you to notice three key words that are pretty prevalent in this section of, of Scripture. Three words that I think help just to summarize this process of sanctification. So if you're taking notes, three steps to taking off those old grave clothes of sin and putting on the new life in Christ. Step number one, the first word, know. Know the facts. Know the facts. Specifically, we need to know the facts surrounding our death to sin. And that's exactly what he said in verse two. We are those who have died to sin. That's what he wants you to know. That's the truth. In fact, notice how often he uses the word know here. Look at verse three. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And then look at verse six. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. And again in verse nine, here it is. For we know, we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death has no, has, no longer has mystery, mastery over him. So, what are we to know? What are the facts? What's the truth? It's the truth that we have died to our sin and we have been made alive in Jesus. So when Jesus died, those of us who have received him by faith, in a way, he's saying, you also have died. And when he was buried, you know, in the tomb, our old man of sin, our old ways, they were buried. And then when he rose from the dead, we rose from the dead with him. We became a brand new person. And, and this is what's so cool. And you see that here in this passage. Baptism is a beautiful, beautiful picture of that. You see the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. You see our death, burial, and resurrection in baptism. That's why, for example, we baptize by immersion here at Coastal because that's what Jesus did and uh, that's the picture of it. In fact, that's also what Jesus commanded. In fact, hey, do we have any veterans here in the house today? I know we do. We had a lot in the first service. We always have a lot of veterans. Great, great. Hey, and uh, Veterans Day, by the way, uh, was Friday. Thank you. Thank you for your service. So I want to ask all the veterans something. When your commanding officer tells you to do something, what are your options? Right, exactly. Uh, every time I ask that question to anybody with any kind of military service, they all chuckle. They all laugh. Why? You ain't got no options, do you? I mean, you got to obey. Well, the last I heard, last I understood, is that Jesus is our commanding officer. He is the Lord. He is in charge. Jesus was baptized. He commands it. He tells us to follow in his footsteps. So what are you waiting on? If you're a believer, what are you waiting on? And again, this is why we do it this way, is because it is the beautiful picture of baptism. Look at verse four. We were therefore buried with him through what? Through baptism into death, in order that just as Jesus was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And again, it's a beautiful picture of that. And so he wants us to know here that just as Jesus walks in this new resurrected life, so do we. 
Man, is that an awesome truth or what? You need to know that. And so the process of sanctification begins with that. Begins with that knowledge. Our knowledge of the fact that you're no longer what you used to be. You're no longer who you used to be. The penalty of sin has been paid for and the power of sin has been broken in your life. And so sin has no more dominion over you. You are free. You are free to live a new life. The Bible says you are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. But again, if we're to live out the fullness of that, it's important that you know the truth. That's, where saint, that's the process of sanctification. It begins with that knowledge. In fact, Hosea 4, 6 says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge, not a lack of uh, dedication or consecration or, or revelation. It says here they're destroyed because of a lack of knowledge. Let me explain that. What I'm saying is we'll never be able to live out what we don't know. So step one is to know it, to know the truth. Step number two, count it to be true. Count it to be true. Look at verse 11. In the same way, here's this next word, count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So what we're told in essence here is to start really, you know, believing it in your heart and applying it to your life now, the applications of your new, your new identity in Christ. In other words, hey, God said this to be true, so now start living like it. And in a way, this is kind of where our doctrine and our belief then gives way to faith and actions. See, the word know deals with our mind. The word count deals with our heart. And so we are to know it intellectually. Now we are to count it to be so in our heart. Listen, if you want to change your actions, you change the way you think, what you believe, it changes the way you feel, and then it changes your behavior. You see, in the original Greek language, the word there, count, it means to affirm something to be true, to really believe it, to know the facts, and then affirm it. Now, why is that important? Well, so often in our you know, walk with Christ, and especially sometimes early on, I think it's possible to start doubting yourself. You know, to, to say these little you know, things in your mind, and you start thinking, you know, I understand what you're saying, it's, but it's just hard to accept that I'm no longer a prisoner anymore to my old nature, my old way. Um, it's hard to believe that I don't have to be a victim of my past anymore. It's hard for me to believe that, you know, the Holy Spirit of God lives in me. I mean, I know you're telling me that's the truth of the Bible, but for me to affirm it, that's hard. Ever felt that way? You know, knowing what the Bible says and that sin has no, no longer has any mastery over you is one thing, but then to, to affirm it, I mean, to really, truly believe it, that's another thing. So let's talk about that. Why? Why is that so difficult? Let me, let me give you some reasons why I think it might be difficult. First of all, it might be hard because you've never been taught that before. I mean, I think there are some believers who, uh, who assume or perhaps they've been wrongly taught that when you get saved, that all the Lord does is he just saves you positionally. You're, yes, you're now in Christ. In other words, positionally, God regards you as, as holy in Christ, but our basic relationship to sin is really 
kind of the, all, the same way it always was, and that's not really going to be changed until I finally get to heaven. So basically, you're just kind of stuck in sin still and being a victim for the rest of your life. Another reason I think it's so hard to believe that sin no longer has dominion over us is because Satan doesn't want you to believe that. He, he doesn't. You know, the Bible calls him the accuser, and he's a master at it. And so if he can just get you to think that he still dominates and he still controls your life, then I think he weakens your resolve to live righteously, to live a life worthy of your calling in Christ. A third reason, and I think this might be the most significant one, why it's so hard for us to realize that we really do have victory over sin. Quite honestly, I think it's because our continuing battle with sin almost contradicts that truth. I mean, you know, if we have this new nature and sin's dominance has truly been broken, then why? Why is it so hard? Why is it such a struggle? Why is it so difficult? I mean, it kind of makes you wonder if it's true. So what's the solution? Again, verse 11, count yourselves, affirm it. You are dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. Believe it in your heart. And listen, that's not a one-time step that we take. In, in the Greek language there, Paul's using a, a present tense verb. And so what that means is, it's the idea that we are continually, ongoing, counting ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. It's something we gotta remind ourselves all the time. Now, notice that it doesn't say, consider your sinful nature dead. It says, consider yourselves dead to the sinful nature. We've been freed from sin's dominance, but not from his presence. You see, it's not our sinful nature that's dead. We're dead because we've died in Christ. And because we died in Christ, we are also raised in a new life in Christ. That new life is inside of us, the, the life of Jesus, the Holy Spirit. And he has paid for every sin you have ever committed and every sin that you will commit. So in that sense, you're dead to sin. It no longer is the boss. It's no longer the tyrant. It's not in control. So, you got to know the truth in your mind, the facts. You, you, you're, to, you're to count them, really believe them in your heart. And that leads us to this third word, this third step. Number three, offer. Offer your bodies. So again, follow it. If the word no has to do with your mind and count has to do with your heart, then offer has to do with your actions, your will. Uh, all three, though, are essential. You know, sanctification is initiated in the mind, it's consummated in the heart, but it's culminated, it's lived out in our actions uh, where, we, where we act on what we know and what we believe. Look what Jesus said in John 13, 17. He said, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you what? Do them, do them. Verse 12 begins with therefore. Remember we said a few weeks ago, anytime you see the word therefore in the Bible, you gotta know what it's there for. And so it's moving us from this past statement to this next one. So follow it. Because you are dead to sin and alive to God, Paul says in verse 12, therefore, 
Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. In other words, if if sin is no longer the, the reigning evil tyrant in your life, then don't act like it. Don't live like it. You know, if, if, if he doesn't have any right to do that, then don't give him the right. You see, this is where a lot of Christians get tripped up. You know, sometimes you think, wow, you know, I've been saved for a number of years, but I don't know. You know, I, I still struggle. I struggle with anger. I struggle with, you know, lust. I, I got all these inclinations to sin. Maybe I was never really saved. You know? And, and, and sadly, we see that. You know, I, we've had people here at Coastal, you know, on your Connect card, man, they check that box. Um, I gave my life to Christ today. And we talk about what that means, right? The first time, you know, giving you, stepping across the line of faith, they check that box every week. Every week. And I'm like, really? It didn't take last week, you know? Um, we got other boxes for other things, you know? Um, or they want to get baptized every year. Every year, like, like, again, maybe it didn't take or something. And sometimes, and again, I kind of understand, I think I know what people are thinking, maybe, but I also think that maybe Satan's telling them that, hey, because you still struggle, because you've got those inclinations and those desires, you're not saved. It didn't work. It didn't happen. Listen, that's a lie straight from the devil. Just the opposite is true. Uh, an old preacher, you know, hero of the faith of mine, Charles Spurgeon, he's an old preacher from another generation, he used to say this, this is his quote, dead men don't wrestle. Dead men don't wrestle. What he's saying is, listen, of course you didn't struggle, you didn't wrestle with this stuff before you were saved because you weren't saved. You didn't care. You were still dead in your sin, but now you're dead to it, and you're alive to God in Christ Jesus. He's saying, listen, the fact that you struggle, the fact that you wrestle with it is actually an evidence of your new life in Christ. You know, now that you're a Christian, there is a wrestling. There is a warfare. You know, and that's what Paul's saying here. But don't let it rain. He's not the boss anymore. That, that is, you have been crucified. Again, we've been delivered from sin's dominance, but not from its presence. It's still here, but the difference is it's not on the throne anymore. And so Paul is saying, don't let it have its way. Don't let it reign in your body so that you obey its evil desires. Look at verse 13. Do not offer, there's the word again, offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Let me tell you something. There's no confusion about verse 13 there. It's very practical, very straightforward, very specific. The word translated instrument here is literally the word for weapon. In other words, don't offer the parts of your body to sin as weapons of wickedness. Stop it. You know, the, the, the sinful nature here is being seen as this evil king, again, this tyrant who demands that your body, your life be used as weapons to conquer and further and promote his unrighteous agenda. 
And so Paul's basically saying, stop it. Don't let him use you as one of his weapons. Instead, offer your life as a weapon for righteousness, for good unto God. And if we do that, the result will be verse 14. Look at this. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you're not under the law, but under grace. Remember the purpose of the law? Just to show us that we're in need of a Savior. God's grace is not only sufficient to save us from hell, but it's also to deliver us from the present slavery of sin, here and now. So, as I close out this message, I want to leave you with three important truths to remember. Okay, three things. I want you to write these down. Number one, the person who receives Christ is committing to a radically new kind of life. A radically new kind of life. You know, I think sometimes churches give people the impression that, you know, becoming a Christian, it's just this neat experience and, you know, full of, uh, you know, peace and prosperity and happiness and unicorns and rainbows and everything's going to be great. And I, I just think if that's all we're telling people, then we're guilty of false advertising. Because let me tell you something, at its core, Christianity, first and foremost, it is a death. It is a death, and then it's new life. New life. And you don't go through a death, especially death by crucifixion, without some kind of pain and sacrifice. Galatians 2.20, I love this passage. My old self has been what? What's the word? It has been crucified. Crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. The death of the old self and the birth of our, the new life in Christ, man, it should have far, far reaching implications for every area of our life as, as believers, everything. It should affect your career decisions. It should affect you know, what you do with your time, how you spend your money, who you date, who you marry, how you raise your family, how you treat your body, everything. It's not a segment. It's not a spoke in the wheel. It's not a slice. It is everything. It, it is a death to the old man and a new walk in Christ, and it's a radically different kind of life. And I think what Paul is getting at here is that if there is no, no noticeable difference between you and the rest of the world, then maybe, maybe you aren't truly saved. You know, maybe you haven't understood that authentic justification always leads to sanctification. That your acquittal, your being declared not guilty, it will always be evidenced by your growth in the Holy Spirit. You know, you'll, the, you know, seeing the fruit of the Spirit exhibited in your life and becoming more and more like Jesus every day. And that leads to truth number two. There is no excuse for sin in the life of a believer. There's no excuse for sin. Now, let me clarify. I did not say that we will never sin. I didn't say that. But there's just not excuses for it anymore. 
Because our old self has been crucified with Christ. And then 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. That leaves us with no excuses. What I'm saying is, we can't blame anybody else for it anymore. Now I know that right there, that goes against everything that our culture says today. I mean the constant message of the world basically is, hey, you're not responsible. You're not responsible for your actions, you're a victim, you know, somebody else is to blame. In fact, the so-called experts today have basically taken almost everything the Bible calls sin and just turned it into a disease or a syndrome or even worse, just normal behavior. But James 1, 13 through 15 says this, and remember, when you are being tempted, again, the presence of sin is still here. You will be tempted. But don't say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone. Temptation comes from your own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Now again, I'm not suggesting that just, become, just because you become a Christian, that that means that you're never gonna struggle with sin again. I'm not saying that. We will, we, we, we do. But I am saying, whatever your particular struggle is, whatever your bent is, your lean towards sin, stop excusing it. You know, and, and I'll say this too. Stop just trying to rehabilitate yourself in your own power. You know, just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. I'll try better. I'll do better. No. You know, listen, we are to crucify it. It has been crucified in Christ, and you have put on this new person in Christ because that's where the power is. That's where the power is found to overcome. Not in you and your power, but in the resurrected power of Christ. Truth number three, this growth in Christ, it takes time. It is a lifelong process. It takes time. Sometimes it's, you know, one step forward, two steps back. Sometimes the steps, again, are just, you know, small. You're just inching along. But listen to Philippians 3, 12 through 14. I, this is the Apostle Paul. He says, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things, or that I have already reached perfection. Again, when we finally see Jesus face to face, we will have become what God already sees us in Christ, perfect, holy. He says, I haven't reached it, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling me. Man, I don't know about you, but that's a relief to me. Like, doesn't that give you hope? I mean, here's the Apostle Paul. I mean, you know, the Apostle Paul, God worked miracles through this guy. I mean, through him, God wrote, you know, Half the New Testament started churches all over the, the, the known world. And yet, 
he honestly and humbly says, hey, I'm not there yet. I haven't arrived. He's not completely yet conformed to the image of Christ. And neither am I. And neither are you. But hopefully we're not who we used to be either. There's been growth. And again, it's important to remember that our growth in Christ, it takes time. It is a process. It's never ending. But the most exciting part of this truth is this. Our God always finishes what he starts. What he began in you, he will bring it to completion. He will, he will, he will finish it. Look at Philippians 1.6. It tells us this. And I am certain that God who began the good work within you. God declared you righteous through your faith in Christ. He started it, and he will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Man, that's great news. We're not there yet, but he's not finished with us, and it's a process. The most important question of the day, though, is this. Has he begun that good work in you? Have you allowed him to start that work? It starts with faith in Christ, trust and faith in him, humbly admitting your sin and your need for a savior and your belief, your affirmation that one has been provided. You can do that today. You can do that today. What are you waiting on? You know, and, and maybe you're here today and you've already made that decision. Maybe your next step is baptism. Man, we're ready any Sunday, any service. Check the box, let us know. We will schedule it. It'll be a celebration. We'd be glad for you to take that next step. Or maybe you're here today and you've done all those things. But the growth and the becoming a little bit more like Jesus every day has been a little lacking. You know, maybe you, you know the truth in your mind. You need to really, truly affirm it in your heart. But you've got to start cooperating with the Holy Spirit and living it out. And stop giving in to that, that tyrant, you know, that master, the old man, the old person. You have been crucified and risen to walk in new life. And you need to start living like it. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much for your word. Lord, I believe there are people here today watching. There are people here today in person who are ready to allow you to begin that good work of salvation, of justification, of being made right and being at peace with you. Listen, if that's, if, if that's who you are, if you're ready to do that, just pour your heart out to God right now. Just pray something like this. Heavenly Father, I admit it, I am. I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And I believe that one truly has been provided. It's Jesus, your Son. And today I ask him to be my Savior and my Lord. I believe he went to the cross for me. I believe he rose from the dead and he is alive. And today... I put all my faith and trust in him and him alone. And for the rest of my life, God, I just want to follow him. Is, 
As we talked about today, I want to become more and more like you see me now, brand new in Christ, alive in Christ. We love you and we pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.